listening to Law and Gospel on this Rumination Thursday, April the 18th, in the year of our Lord, 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and in light of this being Holy Week, we will not be in the studio on Good Friday. I'm out of state preaching. So this will be the last broadcast for Holy Week And we will go back live, God willing, on Monday, the day after Easter. So what we wanted to do today, we received a number of emails that I'll be unable to talk about tomorrow on Open Mic Friday. So I've asked our good friend who's with us every Rumination Thursday, Wes Reimnitz, if he would be willing to help out with some of the emails. And uh, what did you say, Wes? (laughs) I didn't wasn't given a choice. Oh, okay. Oh, so you think uh, I'm like your wife? <laughs> Wes, I don't give you a choice. Well, I, don't, I don't think you'd be anywhere that you're close. Yeah, Wes, <laughs> take out the garbage. Do I have a choice? <laughs> nope. <laughs> How are you, by the way? I'm doing real good and a little busy, what with four preaching assignments in the next three days. Oh, my. So I'm having a lot of fun and because uh, I just love preaching, no doubt about that. In fact, I'm leaving soon after the program and staying overnight at one of the congregations to go to the next congregation on Good Friday. But we'll see what's happening there and such. Now, I also want to say that you will not be with me next Thursday. I won't be with you next Thursday? No. Why is that? That's when they're having the share thon <laughs> <laughs> So Law and Gospel is going to be off the air Thursday and Friday. Oh, I'm going to miss you. Yeah, well, my wife isn't. <laughs> she is phoning trying to get me on the air somehow. <laughs> but be that as it may, yeah, we're having a lot of fun. Without further ado, so this will be our last for April uh, rumination Thursday, and then the first Thursday in May will begin again. Mm. We've got um, a, a number of emails that I really would like to get to. We're not going to be opening up the phone lines, but uh, here's one. I've been listening to your radio program, Law and Gospel, for some time. And was wondering if you could show me the scriptural basis for a comment you made, uh, dear Pastor Baker. And you made a comment several years ago which struck me as unusual and for which I've been unable to find anything in the Bible. Your statement was something along the lines of the following. People who rejected Christ as their Savior and went to hell were in effect being sent to solitary confinement. I have a friend who was formerly a Christian and who has since turned from Jesus. While she doesn't worry about hell in general, I know that one of her great fears in life is that of being alone. I don't have any interest in telling her something just to scare her if it isn't backed up by Scripture. But if the Bible tells us to be in hell is to be alone, I have no problem sharing that with her because I am certain that hell is worse than her greatest fears. I am terrified for her and want her to take the threat of hell seriously as well. And then ask if we could please address this. Now, I know you did a little homework on this. Why don't you share with me your thoughts 
at first? Well, my my first thought is this. Yeah, I went back and I looked. I said, I vaguely remembered something back two years ago, and I found it on the Internet, that uh, there were a series of articles written in uh, 2017 about hell is a small place, voices from the solitary confinement. And those dealt with uh, the, the prison systems that, that we have and the mental illnesses that, that arise from people being put in solitary confinement that, and it's described as, as their own personal hell. But see, that's a, a man-made uh, system. And uh, it, it parallels, oddly enough, it kind of parallels the, the, the email. So I'm not sure if they weren't confused with uh, some of the uh, articles that were written several years ago, because I can't imagine you were calling hell a, a solitary confinement. Yeah, I, I, although I don't recall it, you know me, I like saying things that are somewhat <laughs> radical, and um, I think I can maybe make a case for that, but it just so happens that um, as I was thinking about this, I went to uh, Google, and they have, all you do is type in solitary confinement, and what you do is get article after article where people are losing their minds in Fine. prisons yep. when they're put in solitary confinement. And so there's no doubt that they're trying to get out of that where there wouldn't be a solitary confinement. I, I'm not so sure I agree with that, that we should uh, not put people in solitary confinement. I, I saw a recent um, oh documentary on how Russia puts people in jail. And mm. I don't know why we're not doing that here. What they do, they're, they allow two people in a cell. But when they take them anywhere, for, or, or for example, they eat in their cell. The food is given to them. So you never, in a Russian prison like this, see a whole bunch of inmates together eating. And that solves a lot of problems. Second of all, anytime they're taken out of the cell, they're handcuffed in the back. You know, they're two hands. They're made to lean over. They have a guard in front of them. They have two guards behind them walking with them. And they have a very mean dog in the center of the guards. <laughs> And there is no problem in those prisons with fighting or rioting or anything like that. And because they allow two to be in a cell, they're not really in solitary confinement. And I think that would overcome uh, their fear. Although, for you and me, can you imagine being locked up anywhere in a six-by-eight cell? Oh, and your whole description is people's view of hell here on Earth. Yes. You know, within, their, within their own lives. Well, what I want to do is say a couple of things here in light of, um, I appreciate your homework on it. Um, she says that this friend of hers who has left Christianity, her great fear in life is, is that of being alone. Now, I want to return back to the Garden of Eden. Every day, Adam and Eve could walk and talk with God. Then they sinned. 
What do you think would be their kind of status after they sinned in regard to God? Well, they went and hid themselves, did they not? They did that. I would have no problem saying they were alone. Ah, they were without God. Yes. Now, you see, I can really understand if hell is as bad as it seems to be, God is not there in his mercy and grace. So you are therefore alone. And can you imagine, are you going to be comforted by the other people in hell, like the devil and his angels? I, I, well, I don't think so. Yeah, well, you just brought up a point, devil and his angels. I mean, hell was created, as we know from Matthew 25, was created for the devil and the evil angels. Absolutely. And so I don't want to be there because I will feel alone. And whether or not you want to call it solitary confinement without any people. Now, the way the prisons talk about solitary confinement is when they have no other people they can talk to uh, except for those who bring them their meals and they're in this six by eight cell and in fact, the one who was there the longest was in there for over 50 years. Can you imagine that? No, I can't. I, I don't understand how in prisons they give people books and computers and this kind of stuff. Because if you look at any documentary on these, these prisoners are pretty smart how to make weapons out of almost anything. Well, I... There again, you're describing the whole prison system and what people are going through on this, this earth. What is it that keeps a person, that allows a person to go to, go to hell? It's unbelief. Unbelief, there it is. And here you t we're, we're talking about people who have committed crimes, and for those crimes they're imprisoned. What, what I would say to the lady who wrote about her friend is that... Her friend has the fear in life of being alone. And if she is not a Christian, she may not realize this, but she already is in solitary confinement. confinement. You know, and I thought about that one, too. The only person really that understood what it meant to be alone was Christ when God turned his back on him. And the word that's used there is forsaken. Forsaken, yes. People in hell are forsaken by God. Yeah, and I think the key to it is, and that was the other thing I was reading through some articles on on hell itself, is a lot more time need, needs to be spent on what it means to be out of hell, and that is on the saving message of the gospel itself. That's a good point, yes. Well, I appreciate your looking those things up. And so while there's no Bible passage that says you're going to be in a solitary situation with no people around you, uh, I, I believe there are going to be individuals around you, if not other unbelievers, uh, Satan and his angels. It still is not going to be a comforting situation. No, you are right. And it does talk about the agony and, and the fire and the pain that they're going to be suffering so i, I think, don't think yeah the, the point you made 
how many people, when they're really going through a depressing or lonely time, say, boy, this is like hell on earth? Right. Now, why do they say that? I, I think that they're realizing that as hell is described in the Bible, they feel like they're going through it. But, of course, for the Christian, that is not true. There is no hell on earth because God only permits things to happen that are for your good. Right, and I think that's why it's, it's necessary and, you know, important for us to express the gospel message, the saving gospel yes. message to them. Because the other thing that, that struck me is she, she quit believing in Jesus. Was it historic faith or was it saving faith? Yes. She left behind. Yeah, what does she leave behind? Because if she's afraid of being alone, she left. See, what, what's infant baptism? We often call it an exorcism. Yeah. Why do we call it that? Uh, it's the exercising of the devil. We're no longer under his world, but under the world of Christ. And when you leave Christ, the reverse takes place. Yes. You now want to be under the rule of the devil. And if there's anything that the devil wants you to feel like, it's that you're alone. Yes, well said. All right, here's a second email. Um, Hi, Pastor Baker. How would someone respond when someone says that God removes people from their life for a reason? I know several people that mention this all the time, but don't know the correct answer for them. Where in the Bible would I find the answer to this? I'm a daily listener to your Law and Gospel show on KFUO, and it has been a real blessing to me. God bless you and your ministry. And by the way, this is from Canada. Mm. So how would you respond that God removes people from life for a reason? Well, there's a reason behind everything that God does for us, and we see that at the cross itself. Uh, that that would be the first and foremost answer. That That's that really good. What was the reason that Jesus was removed from life when he says it is finished? Because he had he'd finished the sacrifice. Exactly. He had finished fulfilling the prophecy. And so... It's really interesting, of all the great giants in the Bible, uh, Abraham and Moses and Isaiah, all of them died. And um, there were only two that were taken to heaven Hmm. without death. Yes. So, you know, Elijah in the burning chariot of fire, etc. Right, right. And the other... And the other one? Do you know who it is? Enoch. Very good. Yes. Enoch. So when those two were taken from their life, God had a reason. In the case of Elijah, he had Elisha sitting ready to take over. And so what I would say, I'm trying to think of a time when someone died that God did not have a reason for their dying at that time? I can't think of one. No. I mean, how many times have you done a funeral for, say, a shut-in who has been praying that God would take him or her from this life because their relatives, 
no longer are there, their spouse is dead, etc., and they just want to be in heaven. So we would definitely say in the funeral that there was a reason that God took them to heaven. Right. And there is a reason why God keeps our shut-ins here on earth for a time before he calls them. I mean, they they present a wonderful opportunity to their grandchildren and their family of, of expressing their faith to them. That's an excellent point. The, the witness of faith is very, very important. So we've got missionaries over in some very dangerous countries, and God is protecting them. And he's doing that because he's giving more time for the citizens of those countries to hear the law and the gospel, come to faith in Jesus Christ, and be saved. And I think that you bring up a good a good point of, of time itself, that the world has not come to, to an end because not everybody that's going to be saved has been saved at this point. God is still looking for those people to come in, and we have that wonderful opportunity to share that message. Yes. Yeah, I was thinking uh, about my own life, that when I die, will God have a reason to take me? And he will. Uh, First of all, I'm a Christian, so heaven is my home. But second of all, I'm a sinner, and therefore this physical death is going to be part of the conclusion of my sin. But then on Judgment Day, I'll be raised from the dead in the body to live in eternity in heaven. I can't think of a time where God doesn't have a reason. See, if you say God doesn't have a reason then you're saying he's not in control. That's right. And I think it's, it's so important to understand that that reason sets right at the cross and empty tomb as we celebrate this weekend, Christ's death and resurrection. Yes. Um, there was a reason for his death, and it was told throughout the whole Bible, and that was to save us from our sins. So... Yeah. Sometimes we're unaware of the reason. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, neither do I. I mean... No, we don't know the mind of God. No, but uh, the foremost thing is the belief in in the saving promises of the gospel, that I belong to him and... And it's in, in his hands when he decides I should come, whether I should go. If I'm still here, he has a reason for me to be here. And, and partly I see that as by sharing the gospel with others, spending time with my family and friends and things of that nature. Yes. The next email I just want to touch on here is we've talked about this before. We got a letter, an email from this lady, Daystar Journal had an article that was pro-abortion. Daystar Journal is written by uh, Lutherans, unfortunately, and a number of their articles are contrary to the Word of God. But this one here was entitled, An Evangelical Lutheran Approach to the Question of Abortion. And as soon as you hear that, you know we're going to have some problems here. And what they are talking about is that the gospel cra- cause overrides the legalism 
of the anti-abortion position. Okay. So now people who are for saving babies, they're now legalists because we say that is the command of God. And the law, just by saying the law doesn't make you legalistic. It's a misuse of the law that makes it legalistic. The law is very good throughout the scripture. It tells us not only how God protects the government, it tells us what his will is when we're converted, but it also tells us why we need a savior. And she does a really good job in, in doing this. Here's what she writes to this individual who thinks the gospel cause overrides the legalism of the pro-life movement. What if Christ Jesus had decided to abort our sins from his body and take back his heavenly glory for himself? We would all be blotted off of the face of the earth, never to know the Father's love and mercy for us. If a Christian mother decides to enter her empty her body of the life inside, that life would be blotted off of the face of the earth and would never know the Father's love and mercy for us. In this case, who is being loved, served, and cared for or protected in the way Christ Jesus loves us? Now, the well, only thing I would say about that, we're not absolutely sure that babies who are aborted go to hell. No, we don't know that. No, uh, God has, I had a sermon on this, four or five ways he saves babies apart from infant baptism. But the baby's life would be blotted off of the face of the earth. And therefore, the gifts that that baby could have had to help out on the earth would be gone. So ha have you heard about this, this gospel cause that no. overcomes the pro-life movement? No, I hadn't heard that one. I think that... That, to me, is a West Coast article. Well, one of the things I experienced when I was at the seminary under the former crowds who became Seminex, they would use the gospel and say, what's important is the gospel, not whether or not Jesus walked on water or whether it was a seven-day creation or whether the Red Sea was crossed the way it says. All that isn't necessary as long as you believe the gospel. So what the gospel causes that overcomes the right to life is beyond me. And it, it takes away the whole Bible as, as it talks about the reason for Christ coming into the world. Because we believe from Genesis to Revelation that it's the word of God. And it's the story about Jesus and his saving grace for us. And that's found everywhere. Remember at Pentecost when the people, what can we do to be saved? He tells them something they can't do, and that is to be baptized. That's a gift from God. And they will receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, the promise is not only to you and those who are far off, those are Gentiles, but also to your little ones. And the word can be translated as infants. Infants, yes. So, yeah, be careful of Daystar Journal. If it's not got an imprimatur, for example, of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, or other fine denominations like uh, Wells and ELS, 
you really got to be kind of careful what you're reading because these are false teachers who are trying to put babies to death by telling you that the gospel cause overcomes legalism, whatever that means. Well, and I think your emailer nailed it well when he came back and talked about the scripture. How does this go against scripture or, or it's the same as scripture? If it doesn't fit the light of day, then it's not fit for reading. Exactly. If anything, the gospel does not give us rules by which we can be saved, but it tells us how we are saved, and then the third use of the law gives us direction, and that direction is definitely pro-life, not pro-abortion. And here comes the celebration of Easter, you know, as we, yep. as we celebrate in faith what Christ has done for us. Well, thanks for having a kind of different Rumination Thursday. I just wanted to get to these emails, and we're not on tomorrow. Our next time will be on Monday, and then see you in two Thursdays. Two Thursdays. Okay, looking forward to it. All right. God bless everybody. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.